Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you in the house of God today. Welcome all of you here. If you will just follow along with me on your outlines that you were given today. Uh, there's some scriptures in that. I'll also place them up here on the screen behind me. We're going to continue in on our uh, Sword of the Lord series that I've been on for several weeks. And I want to conclude on this subject because this is a question people will ask a lot of times is, how do I know the Bible can be trusted? So I've titled this message, and it's going to be a two-part because I'm not going to be able to get all through. I've got five, five points I want to make, so I'm going to do about two today and finish up next week, um, Lord willing. Title of this message is, Can the Bible Be Trusted? So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible, so if you'll join there with me. Uh, up on the screen it says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. And there's a reason for it. So that the man of God or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So, the Word of God is inspired by God, and it is for profit. It will profit you because it will instruct you. It will also profit you because it will correct you. How many of you have ever needed corrected? You know, just on the wrong road. Uh, how many of your kids ever needed corrected? And this is the way to do it. You know, the Bible says there is a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof leads to death. But here, you don't have such a problem because God's Word, it will bring life in every situation. doesn't matter what it is, family, finances, future, whatever. So I want to look at this book called the Holy Bible as we've been doing for a while. This is also called Scripture. Uh, years and years ago, it was called Holy Writ. In other words, it's not just a book that man has made, although God used man to make it. And I'm going to show you here in just a minute why it has to be from God. And it is absolutely, everybody look this way, it is absolutely necessary that you be convinced that this is God's Word. And I'll tell you why. You have to be absolutely convinced that this is God's Word because your salvation depends on it. You have to absolutely be certain that this is God's Word because your assurance of salvation counts on it. Because if these words aren't true, then everything we're doing right here today makes no difference. Are you with me? So if you want to be certain of your faith and you want to be able to have an exclamation point instead of a question mark at the end of your life, then you need to know that the Bible is God's Word. In fact, I have a book in my library. It was written by an ex-Mormon who believed that for years, the Book of Mormon was 
anointed of God and came to find out that was a work of man. And he wrote a book called God's Word, Final, Infallible, and Forever. And it's a fantastic book that shows the authenticity of Scripture. And I'm going to be using some things found in that book in this message today. But before we go there, I want you to uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard of the name John Wesley. John Wesley was the founder, he and his brother, of the Methodist Church, and specifically the Wesleyan Methodist. And um, he gets a lot of notoriety, but his brother Charles, if you would thumb through a Methodist hymnal, you would find Charles Wesley's name on many, many, many hymns. In fact, even some of the hymns that we have, Charles Wesley wrote. Now, he said this about the Word of God, not in regards to a hymn, but in actual the Word of God. Charles Wesley also preached, just not as often as his brother John did. But he said this, he said, the Bible must be the invention of either good men or angels, bad men or devils, or God. He said, it cannot be the invention of good men or angels, because neither good men nor angels could or would make a book like the Bible and tell lies all the time that they're writing it, saying, thus saith the Lord. So if you're an angel of God or a, a man or a woman of God, you would not say, thus saith the Lord, and lie about it. I think it's a good point. He then said it could not be the invention of bad men or devils because they would not make a book which commands all duty, forbids all the sin they do, and condemns their very soul to hell for all eternity by not following the words of the book. He said, therefore, I draw the conclusion that the Bible must be given by divine inspiration. But what is the evidence that this book is inspired by God? Charles Wesley concluded that it was divinely ordained. And I think he's got a really good argument. I can follow right along with that. Did you follow along pretty well with that argument? There are around, if you go through the Bible, follow me on this, there are around 3,800 times that the Bible itself claims to be the Word of God. There are terms like this, thus saith the Lord, or the Word of the Lord came to me, and then they would say what the Word of the Lord was. Those are common expressions found throughout all of Scripture, and our text today tells us that all Scripture, let's put this back up again, James, or 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture is inspired by God. From Genesis through Revelation, it's inspired by God. Now, I want you to watch this also now, second ver- the second verse that I want you to see is 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. The Bible says 
For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed down to them. The Bible, in another translation, says that men wrote it down. Now, what if they made a mistake? This has been often a debate, even in Bible colleges. Well, what if the men that wrote it made a mistake? Well, look at the next scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 2. David says this, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His word was on my tongue. Can I just announce to you something today that there is something divine that takes place in this place every single Sunday because the word of God comes to a human and I reveal it to you in a way for you to understand it. I want you to understand I've made this point before and it's not to belittle myself, it's just simply to say that I am not within myself capable of doing all that gets done on a Sunday without the assistance of God. And I want you to understand that you are not able to even receive it or hear it with the anointing. How many of you know that there are some people that will hear the Word of God on one chair and another person that may be on another chair and they'll both receive something, but it's unique for them? And that's what the Word of God does. It's the same Word, but the Holy Spirit knows how to get it into our heart. So David says, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His Word was on my tongue. So my question is, why can we trust this? How do we know for sure? And that's what I want to give you today. I want to give you five solid evidences. I'm going to give you two today, so don't, don't get afraid. I want to give you two of the five today that the Bible is, in fact, the God-breathed Scripture given to mankind. Now, I've given you some fill-in-the-blanks in in Swahili. I've I've got it all filled out there for you. But the, um, the two that I want to give you today, number one, is I want you to see this, and this is one of the most important, is the unity and uniqueness of the Bible. I shared with you a few Sundays ago that the Bible is still, even this year, the number one selling book in the world. It's the number one selling book of all time. I told you before, the second one closest to it is The Tale of Two Cities written by Charles Dickens. And it's only in the two million or so. Yet the Bible has over six billion copies sold. Did you hear that? Billion. So what I'm saying to you today is there is unity in it and there is uniqueness in it. You say, Pastor, how? Follow with me. I want you right now to imagine 40 men separated by centuries from many different cultures, many different communities, many different walks of life, some having a limited access to the other's work, some having no access at all, and they're all working on a statue of Jesus. Each one of them has his own particular part of the statue to carve. One has a toe, one has an ear, one has a chin, one has a leg, a shoulder, and so on. 
after, one, after thousands of years actually are, are completed, all of those carvings now are brought together in one place and they're put together. Now, I want to ask you this. Incredibly, first of all, let me tell you this. Incredibly, they all fit. And they fit perfectly, and there is a beautiful statue of Jesus in front of you. Now, I want to ask you this question. How possible is that by chance? It's impossible. It's possible only if God breathed it. It's possible only if God is the author of it. And that is exactly what you have in the Bible. Some 40 to 50 men working over a period of 15 to 6, 1,500 to 1,600 years, men educated and men uneducated, people who are ignorant, they don't know much about God. Abraham didn't even know God. Abraham r- was raised around idols. Some intellectual, some were shepherds, some were statesmen, writing 66 books, and they come up with a perfectly unified book portraying one perfect person, Jesus Christ. One looks forward to him, the other shows him, and then the future. Now, It's absolutely within this book, and there have been many that's tried to find contradictions, but I will guarantee you every contradiction they say they have found has been found to be inaccurate. There are no contradictions. There is absolutely perfect harmony. There is what I'm calling unity and uniqueness in its vision, in its structure, and in its message. And in spite of the long centuries, of all these centuries and these many individuals that God used as instruments for its completion, it is still unified and still unique. Let me apply this. I challenge you to get 66 books on psychology. Together, today, and see what kind of a mess you have. I want you to get some that were written in 2020, and I want you to find some that were written in 1973. I want you to find the same psychological problem mentioned in 2020 and the same psychological problem mentioned in 1973 and see if they agree. In fact, I encourage you to find an author that has written more than one book on psychology and see if he even or she even agrees with their previous writings. They will often say, that's no longer true. Well, it's no longer true because it was never true in the first place. Men, they they can't even agree with their own writings after 10 years. But here's something you can do. Try getting just 10 science textbooks spread over 20 to 30 years. I want to jump into science now for just a second. And compare them, and you will find there is outdated science textbooks that they don't use anymore. 
because they've abandoned them because the information is no longer correct because new science has proven that to be false. The Hubble telescope showed us a bunch of things. The galaxy is vast. Not so with the Bible. One man found over 100 examples in which the Bible had proven right and the textbooks of science were proven wrong. The textbooks had to be changed. The Bible, which is an ancient book, older than all of those textbooks, never has been changed. In a book with over 40 authors made up of 66 books over nearly 1,600 years, not once did Joel contradict Moses or Isaiah correct Joshua because of later information. Can I get an amen? There's no new revelation for any other reason, and it is completely impossible for human beings to do all of that in this without divine inspiration. Are you with me? It's unified, and it is unique. Say it's unified, and it's unique. Number two, and this is where we could really camp out for a little longer. I'm going to be here for just a bit. But secondly, there is archaeological evidence. Now, I'm going to talk about a group of people. Everybody say the Hittites. Do you know that for the longest time, scientists said there was no group of people named the Hittites? That is an incorrection in the Bible. Hang on just a second. There is a man by the name of Paul Little that wrote a book, and I encourage you to read it. Uh, His book is called Know Why You Believe, and he said that there are 25,000, hear that, 25,000 archaeological sites that have showed some connection with the Old Testament period located in Bible lands. I'm going to say it again, 25,000. And that doesn't even include the well-known sites and cities mentioned in the New Testament. Terry Winter says in his book, Why I Am a Christian that the Jewish archaeologist Nelson Gluck said, it may be stated, and I quote, it may be stated categorically that no archaeology discovery has ever controverted or come against a biblical reference. In other words, as they dig and they unearth this community, they find coins for a while that they said there's no coin such as that, and they unearth it, and they find it. Did you realize that there was a time when skeptics ridiculed the Bible, saying that the city-state of the Hittites never existed? The Bible mentions the Hittites. If you will read this, and you, you did a, uh, a count of the name Hittites, you would read that word over 40 times. So that's pretty positive that there were Hittites. Those were one of the ites, right? Yeah. That the disciple or that the, the children of Israel had to overcome. And they, they said there was no Hittite civilization. But uh oh, well, just a minute. Nineteen oh six rolled around. Everybody say 
1906, excavations were made at Bose, it's called Bogazkoy, and it is 90 miles east of Ankara, Turkey, and this, the town of Hattusas, and it was found and unearthed that that was the capital of the Hittite civilization. They actually found proof that it was there. The Hittites are mentioned 46 times in the Bible. The Bible was right. The critics were wrong. Secondly, there was a time when critics didn't believe in Ur of the Chaldees. What is the Ur of the Chaldees? It's where Abraham came from. God says, get up from Ur of the Chaldees and go into a land which I'll show you, which was to be the promised land. He had actually talked to his dad before that. Do you remember that? Terah, his dad, he told him to get up and go to the promised land. And guess what Terah did? The Bible says he settled, after he left Haran, he settled in a place or he left Ur of the Chaldees, he settled in a place called Haran, and it was Ur's here, promised land's down here, Haran is right here. It's right in the middle. He settled halfway there. He stopped. He didn't make it there. The Bible says he settled. That's some of the saddest words in Scripture. He settled for what wasn't God's best. Then all of a sudden... In 1922, archaeologists dug up Ur of the Chaldees. Solomon's wealth was questioned until excavations at Megiddo confirmed the biblical accounts. Archaeologists have unearthed 25 layers, listen to this, 25 layers of settlement built on top of each other coming over a period of 35 centuries. In fact, today, if you go to Israel, if you ever get to go to Israel, make sure you go under it. Because the city that's there today is not the same city that was there when Jesus walked the streets. You have to go underground and you get to see there's a whole other city down there. There are houses down there. They build and build and they just keep building on top of one another. But they unearth these things. Did you you hear that one last statement that I made? They have unearthed 25 layers of settlement built on top of each other, covering a period of 35 centuries. It was once argued that Luke made a mistake in the Christmas message. He said that Quirinius was governor of Syria, and there was a census taken, and people argued that. Critics argued that he was wrong. But again, archaeology helped prove once again that the Bible claims were in fact true. They unearthed and found Quirinius is mentioned. He was governor according to an unearthed archaeology inscription that was found in Antioch. 
A papyrus found in Egypt gives directions for the conduct of a census, including the return of people to their ancestral land. Jews even went into Egypt. Now, if you got your pen ready, I'm going to give you a few uh, resources if you want to check these out. There's a man named Henry Halley, H-A-L-L-E-Y, and he has a book called Halley's Bible Handbook. If you, if you want to study any of these things out further. This is an aw- awesome read. Josh McDowell, some of you are familiar with him. He has a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Fantastic book. Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Another one called From the Stone Age by William F. Albright. From the Stone Age, William Albright. And the last one is Archaeology and Bible History by Joseph Free, F-R-E-E, Archaeology and Bible History. Now, before I let you go, I'm going to just share something. A lot of times we think of these men that wrote Scripture, that they're somehow elevated in sainthood. I've already told you, Abraham, whom God chose to be the father of the nation of Israel, had a background in idolatry. Do you remember who God used to take the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery to bring them into the promised land? Moses. Who wrote the law? Moses. Who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, or what the Jews call the Torah? Moses. Who were those that argued with Jesus the majority of the time In the New Testament, they were Pharisees. They were experts in Mosaic law. I'm just going to give you a little bit of a glimpse of Moses. Now, I'm going to share this again next Sunday. So those who weren't here Sunday, this Sunday, will get to hear this again, and you'll get to hear it again as well. But I want to ask you this question. Do you believe Moses always believed what he wrote? Do you believe that Moses always believed what he wrote prior to writing it? Here, Moses is raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. He's in the Pharaoh's house. He's raised Egyptian. Let me share with you what the Egyptians believed when Moses was living. Are you ready for this? Did you know that he would have been taught this, the Egyptian belief? Isis and Osiris, their 
their brothers, their sisters. There's two other, there's two other uh, siblings that marry one another. That the world is, wasn't created, it was God's that came together to form it. And I'll get into more detail next week, but he was raised believing that. You see, like every single one of you that have come to God, there is a come to God moment. There was a day and an hour that God spoke to your heart. You either heard a message or he, something happened in your life that made you pause the way you were living, the way you were going, and He spoke His Word to you. And it came some way through this. I just want you to know right now, church, there's not one word, there's not one dot, there's not one cross of a letter that is wrong. Not one. You say, well, yeah, but, I mean, you'll sit, I've sat and talked with, when I pastored in Utah, I did this often with, with, with Mormons. I mean, and they're persistent. They'll come right to your Christian church and talk to you. And I would say, so what do you do with the Scripture? I believe the Book of Mormon is another testament. That's what they would say. We believe that the Book of Mormon is just simply another testament of Christ. So so what do you do with the Bible that contradicts some of the words in the Book of Mormon? And they say, well, we believe the Bible insofar as it's translated correctly. Insofar as it's translated correctly. Here's the crazy thing. And this is just for your information. The Book of Mormon contains within it word-for-word Scripture from God's Word in the Old Testament, and it's word-for-word. It's the exact words of, I believe it's in Isaiah, that are brought into another testament of Jesus. So if it's another testament of Jesus, why did he have to repeat what was already there, and apparently you believe that must have been translated correctly. Why do we have to have a repeat? Are you seeing what I'm saying? In Jehovah's Witness Bible, when you read John 1.1, go to that Scripture, and you will find it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, little g. Now, if you read John chapter 1, 1, and you read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God, it goes on and says, and nothing that has been created was done without Him. And then you keep on reading in verse 14, and it says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So here's what Jehovah's Witnesses believe about Jesus. He was a God. That's why they stand on Jehovah. Now, some of what they believe is true. Much of what they believe is not. What I'm saying is, church, there's not just, there's not just some of this that's real. It's all real. There's not just some that is true. 
It's all true. But we were not all just like Moses wasn't, just like Abraham wasn't. We were not all born saved. Nobody was. And this is the only thing that can change us. This is the only thing that can, can transform us. And I'm just saying to you today, we've got to know why we believe what we believe. But I can assure you right now, based off these two things, and I've got three more to share, the unity and uniqueness of the Scripture and the archaeological evidence right there alone shows us it's true. Amen? I hope you'll come back next week because I want to I conclude this. Uh, this will be the conclusion of our series on God's Word, the sword of the Lord. Please bow with me as we pray today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will cause every person in this place, everyone who has listened to this message, convincing proof in their heart, give them convincing proof that your Bible, your Word, Scripture can be trusted. They can bank their life on it. They can bank eternity on it. And Father, I pray that as we go this way, our way this week, that you would keep us focused on you. Father, keep us at at peace, even though all around us there may be war, there may be strife, there may be division. I would just pray, God, you would keep us focused on you and on the true path that you'd keep us on. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. I just want to be close to your heart This is where my healing finds its start Here is where I find my peace Where my soul